All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, there are a lot of tears at the networks of MSNBC, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, and pretty much every major media network, not to mention the Democratic National Headquarters right now, because it was just a week ago that Joe Biden essentially said that they were going to win in Virginia and that Kamala Harris said probably the only thing I've ever agreed with that she has said, and that is that Virginia would be a bellwether for the nation. So today on Making the Argument, we're going to talk about what just happened in Virginia. This is Making the Argument with Nick Freitas, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, so let's talk about this. I mean, the bottom line is this was a great night for Republicans. Uh, and not just in Virginia. There was actually some, some great things that happened in New Jersey and Texas. We're going to talk about that as well. Uh, but there's a couple of things I want to get up out front. One, uh, huge congratulations to Glenn Youngkin, to Winsome Sears, to Jason Mieris. They ran excellent campaigns. Volunteer, their campaign staffs did a great job. Their volunteers, all everybody just worked incredibly hard. I also want to say congratulations you know, to the House of Delegates. I mean, we, we took back the House. As of right now, we're up by two seats. So we flipped seven seats. We needed six to take the majority. And right now we have seven. And we have a couple more that are really close. We'll see what happens. So again, it, it's not totally for certain yet. But as, as it stands right now, we've won all three seats at the top of the ticket. Plus, we've taken back the House of Delegates. I also want to thank you to all of my constituents in the 30th District. We actually won our re-election by the highest percentage ever. It was over 65%. I just want to thank everybody so much that the worked hard, the volunteered, that came out and voted. I mean, again, just a, a great night. It is hard not to be incredibly excited about what this means, not just for Virginia, but for the entire country. And that leads me back into what Kamala Harris said, right? Kamala Harris said that Virginia can be a bellwether for the rest of the country. And I think in this case, she's absolutely right. Now, there's, there's a lot of people that say this, and it's become one of those convenient political things that you say at a rally in order to energize people. But the reason why in Virginia there's something to it is for a couple of reasons. First, we have off-year election cycles, right? So most states elect their governors, elect their state legislators, their attorney generals, lieutenant governors, in conjunction with federal election cycles, right? Virginia doesn't do that. So Virginia, New Jersey, we're, we're two states that once you've had the presidential election, right, we're, we're the first states that have an election immediately following that. And so it gives you some indication of how people feel about the administration, not only at the state level, but also at the federal level. And that's what we saw in Virginia. 
And a couple of things happen that I think are really important to point out here. So we got we to set the, the stage here. And for a lot of people who live in Virginia, you know some of this. For people that are listening to this podcast outside of Virginia, it's important that you do understand this. Democrats took control of the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, House of Delegates, and the Senate, right? So they had everything, right? Two years ago, they had everything. They had complete control. And it was interesting because one of my Democrat colleagues, uh, Delegate Lopez, he had been telling people when he was campaigning two years ago when, when they took the House, when the Democrats took control for the first time in a long time, they said, if you put us in control, we will accomplish a lifetime's worth of work in two afternoons, right? And understand something. He might have been campaigning that way up there in the Arlington, Alexandria area, but a lot of other Democrats that were campaigning were not campaigning on that sort of like extreme progressive agenda. But nevertheless, when they got into power, that is what they pushed and people saw it. You saw some of the bills. There was a couple things, there were a couple more extreme things that managed to die in the Senate because it was a much more narrow Democrat majority and they were still very worried about losing particular seats. But in the House of Delegates, Virginia Democrats pushed an incredibly far left-wing agenda on everything from, from guns to abortion to energy policy to regulatory policy. I mean, you name it, they were pushing the most extreme things they possibly could. And what happened was, is, and this is the interesting part, when they got in power and they pushed all this, all of a sudden things started to come to light, right? This was no longer about Democrats running on intentions. This was about Democrats having to run on the consequences of the policy positions that they had pushed, that they had put into play. And parents were especially feeling it at the educational level, where all of a sudden, one of those institutions, which Democrats are usually able to run on, they're, they're usually seen as the champions of education, all of a sudden, the true narrative was playing out in the policies, whether it was books that were, were appearing in kids' reading lists, whether it was policies that were being pushed on our teachers or on our students, whether it was access to things like AP classes, I mean, you, you name it, there was all kinds of these, these feel-good policies the Democrats sold based on their intentions rather than understanding what, how it would play out in real life. And when parents started to feel it directly, they made, them, they made their voices heard. And here's what was fascinating, and, and the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I think it was critical to understanding what took place in Virginia. When those same parents, many of whom, many of whom probably voted for Joe Biden or might have voted for Terry McAuliffe before or, or may have just not very, very, been very engaged in politics, many of those parents that maybe they were Republican, but maybe they didn't like Donald Trump, those parents showed up to school board meetings. Those parents showed up and called their representatives and they expected to be treated with a certain modicum of respect because in their minds... They had sometimes voted for these candidates for school boards, sometimes voted for these candidates for House of Delegates or Governor or LG or, or President or Congress. And, and I think there was this basic assumption that they were going to be treated like reasonable and responsible human beings and parents that simply had some concerns about what was going on in their school. And what happened was, is they were immediately called racists, bigots. I mean, you name it, right? It was, it was the stuff that if you're a Republican, if you're an active Republican, if you're an elected Republican like I am, you are used to hearing this, that anytime you disagree with the left, you're automatically accused of the worst possible intentions and the worst possible motivations. But a lot of voters weren't used to that. They, they were used to, you know, again, just being reasonable human beings, sometimes agreeing with their representatives, sometimes disagreeing with their representatives, but living under this assumption 
that especially in places like Loudoun County and Fairfax, which is dominated by people that all run on this idea that they're nice, tolerant, calm, easygoing people that just want the best for everyone, they thought that they, if they showed up and voiced concerns to them, they would be treated with respect. And what they were treated with was contempt. And not just contempt, but when the Biden administration came down with the Department of Justice, then they were treated with fear and intimidation. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people came face to face with the reality that while not, not every single person that, that isn't a Democrat falls into this category, a lot of their elected representatives, a lot of their most vocal, progressive representatives view anybody that disagrees with them with a certain degree of contempt and automatically assumes that if you don't agree with their policies or if you think there's an issue with them, then you must be coming from a place of either bigotry or mean-spiritedness or ignorance. And parents did not like being categorized that way and they had every right to be frustrated by it, to be insulted by it, and to let their voices be heard at the ballot box. And I think that is largely what we saw. And it wasn't just with parents. It was with a lot of people that had been concerned about some of the more radical policies that shut down businesses, destroyed people's livelihoods, constantly put small businesses in the position of never knowing whether or not they were going to make it, never knowing if they could hire people, never knowing if there was going to be some new regulation that they were going to run afoul of unintentionally and lose their business or pay excessive fines. They didn't know if, if all of a sudden because they, they owned a certain firearm which had been legal for decades in Virginia that now they were going to find themselves in jail. And, and again, this is not hyperbole. These are the bills that passed the House of Delegates. And so there was a backlash in response to that, but it wasn't just what was going on in Virginia. So it's, it's important to understand the unique conditions within Virginia. And I want to promise everyone right now, we're actually going to do another podcast next week. Our next podcast coming up next week is going to all be about a deep dive of what happened in Virginia because we want to learn from it, right? A lot of times we say, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes and that's absolutely true, but you also have to learn for your victories so we know exactly what got us here. Because one of the things I was so encouraged about is that when these issues came up and when many on the left responded the way they did to parents and to concerned citizens, our response was not to say, okay, well, let's come up with, let's, let's come up with a, you know, whatever, an agreeable tone, right? Or something that the press would like. No, our response was to go after it and defend the people that we should have been defending the whole time. But now for the first time for many people, I think they, they saw us in the position that we may have always envisioned ourselves in, but never did a very good job articulating and sometimes did a very horrible job of executing. And that is the position that we've always held, I believe, within the conservative movement, especially within the liberty movement, is the idea that our job is to protect your rights. And for the first time for a lot of people, they saw Republicans actually stepping up and, and being willing to defend them when they felt like they were being unjustly accused. And even more importantly, when they felt that their children were being put in a bad position and they had no power to do anything about it, and the moment they did so much as raise their voice to it, they were treated with utter contempt. And we stepped in. But the next part of that is that when we actually get down to Richmond for the 2022 session, we have to make good on those promises. We actually have to put the frustration, the promises that we made, the arguments that we made, we need to put them into action within legislation. So, if, again, if we're, if we're talking about Virginia, you, you, had a, you had a variety of things coming in. So a lot of it had to do with what had gone in since the Democrats had can take com complete control 
over the Virginia General Assembly and, and pretty much all of the machinery within Virginia government. There was another factor that played in here, and that was the national factor, right? This is what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were talking about. It was that understanding that what was going on in Virginia was not just a referendum against Virginia Democrats, although it largely was, right? I, I think that for anybody that believes that this was simply a referendum against Joe Biden, you're not actually paying attention to what had taken place in Virginia. And what's amazing is that if you look a lot at a lot of the things that Youngkin, Winsome Sears, Jason Mears, and a lot of the House of Delegates candidates were running on, we weren't running on Joe Biden screwing up Afghanistan. We weren't running on Joe Biden screwing up the supply chain. We were running on very specific policies that Terry McAuliffe had passed during his administration, that the Democrat-controlled House of Delegates had then passed. They were the ones that put in policies that were hurting Virginians, and we focused a great deal of our time on that. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't, that doesn't mean we ignored what was going on at the national level, because that also affects Virginians. And, and I would say on some level, especially Virginians, because of our proximity to Washington, D.C., and because of how much what goes on in Washington, D.C. directly impacts Virginia. But again, it's important to understand, and this is one thing that I think a lot of pundits are going to get wrong, they're going to look at this as exclusively a referendum on Joe Biden, when in reality, it was both a referendum on Joe Biden and a referendum on what Democrats had done specifically in Virginia now that they had had complete power. But... We've talked about what happened in Virginia. Let's talk about how the national level was affecting that. Now, there, there's been a tradition in Virginia, and, and it's, held, it's held pretty strong for about six decades, right? There's, there's, been, there's been some you know, changes, and sometimes it doesn't hold true, but essentially what happens is, is whatever political party wins the White House, the opposite political party tends to win the governorship. So when Obama won the White House, Bob McDonald won uh, the governorship in Virginia. But that, that trend was broken, with Cuccinelli and Terry McAuliffe. And a lot of Democrats had assumed that this was because of, of the massive shift that we saw within the Virginia General Assembly, within Virginia state races, that this was just the new norm in Virginia. But I think what happened was is that just like at the state level where Democrats got con complete control, and, and they got control by arguing for what most people consider to be fairly common sense intentions, Right, better schools, better healthcare, better economy, right? More fairness, more justice, right? These, these are all these are all intentions. They're not policies, they're intentions, and they tend to be intentions that everyone agrees with. And the press tends to give them a pass on it. And so they were able to get elected based off of that. But once they got into power, they started to push a radical agenda. Well, what did we see at the federal level? You had something similar taking place. The Democrats didn't just win the presidency. They have control of the House of Representatives, they have a majority in the Senate. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to pass trillions of dollars in spending. They're engaging in massive inflation. They have screwed up Afghanistan horribly. They've screwed up the situation at the southern border. They've screwed up issues with respect to the supply chain and the economy, which is ultimately having an impact on the supply chain. Right? Their policies have failed time and time again, and their only solution seems to be give us more money and give us more power. We need to spend more. We need to print more. And the moment you disagree with that or the moment you have a problem with that, what's the response? You're bigoted. You're evil. You're racist. You're sexist. You don't care. Right? That has become the one-trick narrative of the Democratic Party. We're going to spend trillions of dollars. We're going to, we're going to massively involve our, they're going to massively involve themselves in your day-to-day -day life. They're going to make decisions that were never supposed to be the purview of the federal government. Now, did they run on those things? Is that what Joe Biden ran on? No, it isn't. But once they got in power and once they had complete control, they started to push for this incredibly radical agenda. So you're seeing a trend. 
And what people, I think, have been very, very woken up to within Virginia, and the reason why I think they're so woken up to it is because that the, the issue kind of really came to a head over education. It came over something that's incredibly important to parents, and that's the future of their children. That's where people first started to realize not only the gaslighting that was taking place, but the utter disrespect they would be treated with. So it's not just, it wasn't just Terry McAuliffe doing it at the state level where he is sitting there telling parents that their outrage over the safety of their children in the schools or over the curriculum that's being taught. First, they're being told that there is no problem, that the thing that they're concerned about doesn't exist, and they're engaging in phony outrage. And then all of a sudden, the facts come out, the reality comes out, and they realize that, no, these things are happening, and we want an answer for it. And then the response then is, so the first thing is, is don't believe your own eyes, believe what we tell you. And then when the voters come back and tell them, no, we see the evidence. This is going on. Explain yourself. Their response was not to come out and say, okay, well, this is why we think this is actually a good thing. Or this is why we think this, this policy is, is, you know, on the whole, better. No, the response was, that's phony outrage. You're a bigot. You're a racist. They did it at the state level. They are doing it at the federal level. And voters are getting sick of it. Let me go over some of the numbers here because I think this is, this is really telling. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about not only what's going on within Virginia, but some other states as well. So let's take a look at this. So for instance, Joy Reid gets on the news and talks about how the, the victory in Virginia is a, Virginia is a victory for white supremacy. Now I want you to keep in mind that Glenn Youngkin, yes, Glenn Youngkin's a white guy. However, our LG candidate, Winsome Sears, is an immigrant, a black woman, former Marine, former member of the House of Delegates, incredibly passionate about the country. She wins. The first black woman to win statewide office, to win the, the LG race in Virginia. Jason Mieres, his family immigrated from Cuba. First Hispanic elected to the Attorney General's office. But again, does any of that matter? Now, once again, I want you to keep in mind, as conservatives, we, we tend to, we want to focus in on the character of the person. And, and what, the reason why I supported Jason Mears, the reason why I supported Winston Sears is because I think both of them are incredibly genuine people. I think they're people of incredible character, intelligence. I think they've got a background that, that makes a great deal of sense for the positions that they were running for. I think they've been effective advocates for the policies that they believe in. This is why we supported them. But the narrative on the Democrats is that any time someone breaks one of these ceilings or someone is the first to do something, it's generally held up as something to be proud of, as a signal that we've moved forward, except if you have an R by your name. And, and Joy Reid illustrated that by saying that this was a victory for white supremacy when literally we had the most diverse ticket in Virginia history and it won. And it won at a time when all the Democrats said it won it. Jason Mears, like I said, first Hispanic to be elected statewide. We flipped seven seats in the House, including two districts, uh, with a majority black population. One of them, the city of Petersburg, which has never been represented by a Republican in the Virginia legislature in modern history. And again, you, you ask yourself, why, why do we see this shift? And I think part of that comes from the fact that voters have woken up to this idea. They, they have become, and it's not that they've woken up to it as much as that it's become so obvious now because they've been victims of it, right? They used to think, they used to, I think they used to believe the narrative that you saw on CNN, MSNBC, and other places that if someone was being treated like they were a bigot or a racist, well, then there must be something to it, right? Maybe it was a little bit hyperbolic. Maybe it was a little bit political. There must be something to it. Well, more and more voters are now starting to see that no, people on, on the left, 
and within the media will make these claims purely for political reasons, having no basis in reality. And the reason why they're seeing that now is because they've now been the victims of those accusations. Republicans saw a shift across the board in Virginia, uh, both in my home county and Loudoun County, the results shifting 14 points to the right. So a lot of people will look at Loudoun County and be like, well, wait a second, all this stuff was happening, and yet Terry McAuliffe still won it. The question is not whether or not he still won it, the question is by what margin. It was by a much smaller margin than was uh, previously expected. Right now, according to Fox News exit polling, it's showing that Republicans won the Hispanic vote in Virginia. I, I didn't say got 40% or 45% or got historic, no, no, won the Hispanic vote. And again, why is that? Well, because once again, I think more and more people in the United States are, are tired of this absolute relentless focus on, on things like race or gender. I, I think people like the idea that in the United States, this is a country where we, we understand that there have, been, there, there have been injustices as a result of race and gender. But that the overall move, the overall march within the United States has, has been to eradicate that sort of racist or sexist behavior and move toward one where we judge people based off of your character and we judge people based off of your actions. That used to be the whole goal now. That used to be the whole goal and now all of a sudden it isn't. And people are tired of it. They want to go back to that. They, they are tired of this constant attempt to divide everyone along racial and gender lines. Now let's go outside of Virginia here for a second because there was there were some really incredible stories across the country. Republicans nearly flipped the New Jersey governor's race in a state that voted for Joe Biden by 16 points, right? Pundits had given Republicans zero chance there and yet Republicans nearly took that seat back. But but that's not it. The, the probably the most interesting race out of out of New Jersey was the Democrat president of the Senate. One of the the longest serving members that've been in the uh, New Jersey Senate for 20 years lost to a guy that had like $200 in a pickup truck and just ran on being a common sense guy that, that believed in traditional values, hard work. You know, <laughs> that guy won. With $200, he beat a 20-year incumbent and the president of the Senate in New Jersey. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, in Texas, Republicans won a special election for the Texas House of Representatives in an over 70% Hispanic district in the outskirts of San Antonio. Why? Well, because once again, I, I, think there's been a, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think part of it is, is Republicans are finally doing a better job of actually talking about the issues and the values that, that people in common share regardless of their race, regardless of their gender. It's the idea of being able to want a, a, a good present for yourself and a good future for your children and understanding that being able to work hard, to be able to keep more of what you earn, to be able to invest, to be able to build up and prevent, present something better for your children is something that appeals across the board and across space and time. And being able to talk about how conservative principles allow people to achieve that, you know, regardless of where they start off in life, that is a far more powerful message than, than the message Republicans have had in the past. Now you contrast that with the fact that the Democrats have doubled down on this idea of accusing anybody who doesn't agree with them of being a hyper-partisan divisive racist. And I think people are getting fed up. I think people are getting absolutely sick of it and they should be. So I think, again, I'll go back to this. I think Kamala Harris was right. I think this is a bellwether for the country going into the midterm elections. Now, again, there's redistricting going on all over the country this year, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But ultimately, I think we have, I think we have a strong message that was sent in Virginia, in New Jersey, in Texas, 
that demonstrates that voters have gotten tired of the narrative coming out of the Democratic Party. Now, Republicans would do wise to remember that just because we've just because we had a victory tonight doesn't mean we've won the entire argument. But it does mean that we're doing something that is starting to work at the same time that the Democrats, I think in many cases, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is starting to reveal themselves and their policies for what they actually are, and the media can no longer cover it up. The media can no longer cover up the realities of those policies because people are feeling it when they go to the store, when they take their kids to school, when they go to their job. They're feeling it. But we have to be able to come back with policies that are actually going to address those concerns alleviate that and get us back on track to ensuring that we have the sort of place, the sort of country, the sort of commonwealth where everybody has an opportunity to be able to succeed, not because of who they know, but because of their ability to apply their skills, their creativity, their innovation, and their work ethic in a way that brings value not only to them, but to the other people that they're working with within the marketplace. And it's in that marketplace both of goods and services, but ultimately of ideas that we have a huge opportunity with the power that we have recently won here in Virginia. But we had better make good on our promises. All right, that's all the time that we have for today. Again, tune in next week where we are going to do a deep dive of the election. I'm going to bring on a special guest. He's actually been, uh, won the Pundit Award for the Virginia Public Access Project, uh, which every year puts out a, a contest to see who can do the best job predicting the outcomes of the elections. He has a very good historical track record on doing this. He made some really good predictions with this latest uh, election as well. And so we're going to do a deep dive into some of the numbers, the geography, the arguments that were made, the campaign strategy. And we're going to take a look at what can we learn from this in order to improve on the success that we've had, do an even better job next time, and most importantly, set ourselves up to govern in the way that will ensure that when people, when people hear the promises that we're making, they have assurance that we're going to deliver on those promises and that those are going to make their lives better. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.